in there. So now, if you don't mind, you could let me know in the chat if you're hearing anything at this time. And if you're not, then the only suggestion I have is that it's my understanding it's supposed to stream if Dead. you... Yes. If they're not hearing it, then it won't help them. Um, you want to type it into the chat then? Yeah, I I did. We're all set, I think. Okay. All right. <clears throat> and... Uh... Good evening. Hey, good evening, Rich. How you doing? Pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. We are just getting underway. Uh, Russell's indicating he's going to be a little bit uh, delinquent tonight. Uh, everything's fine. He just wanted me to know uh, that, that there's no major issue or anything. Um, and Isaac's uh, probably not going to join. Uh, he's tending to some details before he takes a, uh, a trip tomorrow. Um, so he may not uh, get on with us as well. But anyhow, um, sorry to have had to miss everybody last week, but it was kind of unavoidable. I got a little last-minute uh, opportunity to uh, see the boys. And uh, it was a short-notice situation, and so we took advantage of, of the time to do it and we knew we'd be on the road and wouldn't be able to really get the call connected up in the area that we were going to be um, in the uh, country setting there. We've had problems there. And of course, uh, Isaac doesn't have the internet set up there anymore or anything anyway. So, so uh, we uh, just uh, wanted to make sure we had an opportunity while he was just uh, five and a half hours away and, and uh, so did what we thought would be good for everybody to get connected and connect up. So missed everybody. But <clears throat> so, you know, you, you do stuff like that and you find yourself uh, thinking, gee, I don't I don't know what I have prepared. I don't know what, uh, um, you know, we pretty well were wrapping up on the racial exclusivity and so forth, had some thoughts on belief and, and uh, remembrance taking away our, our memory. And it seems that as I was trying to consider what would be, um, I would be lead, being led to do, it, it appeared to me that what, uh, what pretty much I believe got laid upon me was two things that uh, pretty much gave me the second witness that that this was more likely the direction that I that I should be going. And I had been thinking a lot about North America and thinking a lot about European countries and so forth and all these countries um, that we've uh, found the Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Scandinavian, Celtic, and kindred peoples inhabiting. And what it has meant to world economics, quite frankly. 
the strategic locations of of all of this Anglo-Saxon territory or dominion, if you will. And thinking about this nation itself in America, just the tributaries and the waterways and the various things that that were so instrumental, we we rarely think about the geographical um, compatibility for a nation to rise, if you will, and become a great nation. And we certainly see this in America, the the mighty Mississippi, the greatest, you know, inland water tributary that that cuts a major swath of the entire continent, allowing for goods to be shipped to all portions of the nation um, and from there to other nations. And as I began to think so earnestly on that, something else came in from our friends in South Africa. And it was an email. And that, like I say, pretty much was my inspiration that this is a second witness to what I'm what I'm thinking or, you know, what was mulling over in my mind. As I say, we pretty well concluded things from the, the past several fellowships that I had been considering and working on and putting together for these fellowships. And so here you are, you're in one of those those periods that Pastor Peters used to call, you know, kind of a dry spell, uh, wondering, wondering where the Lord's going to lead you. But this other um, article that from one of our friends in South Africa, Monica, and thank you, Monica, I know you listen. And um, I want to say this too. I don't say it enough, I'm sure. And I do want to make a point of it now. When people send emails and so forth, often I know how much it means in an inspirational way, a spiritual way, oftentimes, as I've said so many times in the past, how I've got an inspired thought and so forth has come as a result of an email that somebody sent. And, and they may have sent it for whatever reason they did, but the spirit has a way of, of doing these things and, and giving us that first and second and double and third witness uh, oftentimes to make a decision on something that that perhaps is necessary to, to have a discussion about and to look at the, the biblical record for our understanding. The article, as, as I said, one of the things was all of the thoughts I were thinking about the strategic areas and so forth of the globe that the white Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Scandinavian, Celtic, and kindred peoples have inhabited and what it has meant for the economics of the world. And that, frankly, is all peoples. And this article came through from Monica, and it was, um, let's see, who's that guy? The, Paul Craig Roberts. And I enjoy uh, reading a lot of Paul Craig Roberts' stuff. 
uh, he's been around for a long, long time and uh, has a number of very good articles and he writes uh, fairly well. And he can really, uh, you know, he can really lay down some meat uh, in an article. The title of the article, Civilization is in its final years. And boy, you know, that just is one of those things that grabs your attention. And so I read through the article, and it has a lot to do with basically the rundown on what's happened uh, from Sweden to, to America. And uh, when you think about what's happening in America and European nations, as well as America, uh, that article and that title certainly has an air of truth. And as I began to think about it, I thought about those messages that we were doing on Revelation, a bird's eye view, and specifically Matthew 24. And let's turn back there just to kind of set the stage and get our thoughts going in this direction that I thought I might spend a little time sharing with you. Um, Matthew chapter 24, and uh, let's start at verse 3. Uh, remember that here Jesus has gone out of the out of the temple and his disciples came to him and said, well, boy, look at all of this. Look at the temple. Look at all these things. And and Jesus here at verse three says he sat at the scripture says and he sat down on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came unto him privately saying, well, I should probably use to read to because I didn't do it any service. Jesus said unto them, See you not all these things? Verily, verily, I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And it does us no justice if we do not read that exactly as the King James has it, the end of the world. That word should not have been translated world, but should have been translated the end of the age. And when you unpack that scripture, what you see is the disciples coming privately. They're trying to figure out just exactly what did he say to them in verse two. So the query is, tell us when, tell us what shall be the sign, and that sign would be reminiscent of the end of the age. And that one word translated world is a major source of what I'm going to title this message. The cult of the last days in obscuring biblical Israel. The cult of the last days in obscuring biblical Israel. Because I really do believe 
that that is what's going on. Turn with me to Ephesians. And we've been here before in these last uh, latest series of fellowships. But in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to begin. Uh, let's see. Let's do. Um, well, let's begin with one. I, therefore, this is Paul speaking to those in Ephesus. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that e you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body in one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Now, you may not quite know where exactly I'm going with this as we go along here, but I think if you'll bear with me, it'll come together. Paul is telling us that we are to be under one God. And, and I didn't say that, meaning that you're not going to understand me. I'm, I'm way beyond in your wisdom, you know, in wisdom above or anything. That's not at all in, in any way in, in the intention. I just simply mean that sometimes I may have thoughts, and you may not have any idea exactly what it is I'm really trying to say with all of those thoughts. But I do believe that if you'll hang with me, I think you'll see exactly what I'm trying to convey that gives us that great hope that Paul is talking about here. But Paul tells us that we're to be under one God, one Father, one faith, one baptism, one body, one spirit. And in spite of this direct admonition from a persecutor in chief of this one body and this one spirit, in spite of that admonition, there's roughly about 40,000 divisions of this one spirit and one body admonition. Less than 24 words in the biblical text that we just read out of Matthew 24, 3, are the, are there, there, they are the more, they are more perversely used as cultishly and dogmatically believed and professed as they are by the rank and file Judeo-Christian and indeed much of professing Christendom. And that passage of scripture, like I said, we've expressed and we've addressed it in the past, very recently. And Expose the clear, unequivocal language that it conveys that this end of the age that the passage conveys is past and was fulfilled in Christ's return to bring about the complete destruction of the old temple, Old Testament temple, those in charge of it, 
and those who refused to repent and were destroyed with it. And in fact, when the student of the Bible is honest with the scriptural record, he or she invariably comes face to face with this observation. If the promises made to Abraham, continued in Jacob Israel, are in fact to be believed, then biblical Jacob Israel cannot be irrefutably lost or irretrievably lost, I should say, and of no consequence in the new covenant or to a new covenant dispensation or era. And the obvious consequence of which would be a God who lies and is unable to save. And that is exactly what the church world has done. They have literally done what can be nothing more than Think about it. I hope you can get the sense of what I'm driving at. Think about it. If Jacob Israel was just lost, and as most New Testament Christians believe, largely Christendom the world over believes that God now deals with Gentiles, and those Israelites were cast off, no longer to have anything. Was God to have anything to do with them? That makes God a liar and it makes him unable to save the very people he prophesied he would save. In fact, establishing biblical Israel and the promises made to them, the predictions of their migrations and their prophetic expectations of their future is a record designed to turn the entire army of Satan's, and I'm using that plural, meaning adversaries to the will of God, is to, enough to turn the entire army of Satan's arrayed against biblical Jacob Israel into an easy prey for slaughter or submission unto our king's will. Just that little sliver of understanding and remembrance. Turn with me to Amos chapter 9. For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Do you understand the significance of that? It is monumental. To Christendom. 
And yet, the vast majority of professing Christians the world over have no concept of that verse. He is saying there will not be one kernel of this corn of Jacob Israel that will fall to the ground without knowing about it. Awesome. Now let's flip over to Jeremiah 31 quickly and I'll get the things going here, I think. Jeremiah chapter 31. And somebody go ahead and turn to Joshua 21, 45 and that too. Jeremiah 31, 35 to 37. Here we go. Oh, we really can't do it without doing 31. I know we've done it, everybody. Bear with me. You know, God's word is so beautiful to repeat. I have no problem hearing it over and over again. 3131, behold, the days come, says Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Oh, would to God that today's Judeo-Christians recognize this scripture right here. The days are coming, says Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. When is that going to occur, ladies and gentlemen? If you think Israel has been cast off and God does not deal with Israel anymore, you made him a liar. Not according to the covenant that I made with their father in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was a husband unto them, he says, Yahweh. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Yahweh. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, No, Yahweh, for they shall know me from the least of them and the greatest of them says Yahweh, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. 35, thus says Yahweh, which gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night, which divides the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says Yahweh, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says Yahweh, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says Yahweh. Anybody pull up Joshua 21, 45? We'll go there. And Joshua 21. Let's do, let's start at 43. And Yahweh gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt there. And Yahweh gave them rest round about according to all that he swore unto their fathers there stood not a man of all their enemies before them yahweh delivered their enemies into their hand there fell not aught of any good thing which yahweh had spoken unto the house of israel all came to pass and the scripture 
we are living in a time where no longer ought we live on the blind obedience and trust in man and man's theories, man's opinions, and man's government systems. Instead, facts and truth are what is to be demanded. Divine prophetic fulfillment is demonstration of what would be otherwise nothing more than presumptive proof. And the divine fulfillment is evidence of what the physiological, the philological, the ethnological, historical, and scriptural record invariably reveal. The whole chapter of Isaiah chapter 48 is very instructive, but I don't think we're going to have time to really read it all. So turn over there to 48. Hear this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of Yahweh, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. For they call themselves of the holy city and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning and they went forth out of my mouth and I showed them. I showed them. I did them suddenly. And they came to pass because I knew that thou art obstinate and thy neck and iron sinnow and thy brow brass. I even from the beginning declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I showed it to you. Lest you should say, mine idol has done them, and my graven image and my molten image has commanded them. That scripture right there is the one I want to teach to the constitutional in America. I mean no dis. Uh, disrespect or condemnation. But I want you to consider, I even have from the beginning declared it to you before it came to pass, I showed it to you so that you could not say, my constitution has done this thing. My grave and document of the Declaration of Independence has done this thing. My molten image of my Federal Reserve notes have done these things. No, no God says, I did these things for you before you could even see them come to fruition so that you could not say that you did these things. And that's what I'm trying to convey about as I look at the North American continent, I look at all that God has done in giving the seaports of the world, the economic seaports of the world, to Jacob Israel to command. And the nations that he gave them and drove them to are so instrumental in that whole plan. As I said, the whole chapter of 48 is extremely important and I don't really think that I can probably go through the whole thing. Um, I have a note here 
and I don't not sure exactly why I wrote it because I didn't write anything next to my note. John 1429. Let me just go see what I was doing there. Oh yeah, sure. It's a confirmation. It's a second witness. It's a double witness in 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 the gospels. John 14:29. And now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you might believe. That you might believe. He's constantly telling us ahead of time what he intends. As Rich has said to us before, God does nothing without conveying it to his prophets. And we are prophets, priests, and kings. We are God's servants, prophets, priests, and kings. And he has told us. And that's what we're doing as prophets, priests, and kings, is we're doing likewise. We're teaching and telling our fellow brothers and sisters and bringing back to their remembrance these things that he's done. Now, some might say, yeah, Doug, we get it. We understand, you know, we're we're losing it as a nation and 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 we've forgotten God. It's more than that, ladies and gentlemen. It's much, much more than that. Frankly, it's upon this non-presumptive understanding that all of Christendom must acknowledge the simplest question. Is it reasonable to believe biblical Jacob Israel, its attended promises, prophecies, and predictions would not become exactly as Yahweh spoke? Is it reasonable for us to believe that it would not become exactly as he spoke? And this is what I'm trying to do to my brothers and sisters in Christendom who just think, yeah, we've forsaken God. It's more than that. It's not even reasonable for you to not understand and acknowledge the answer to that simplest question. Just ask your professing Christian friend what became of biblical Israel. Usually it's going to come down in one of three things. Maybe they'll say they don't know, could be a fourth, or they'll say, well, they amalgamated into the other nations, or they were destroyed by God as unbelievers. And God now deals with Gentiles. And the last one would be they went out of existence because the, they were cast off by God. All of those kinds of statements in the face of such marvelous truth of God conveying to us over and over again before it ever comes to pass. Acts chapter 13. Beginning at. Oh, I'm in John. Um, chapter 13, Paul is uh, in Antioch here. 
when they departed, I'm at 14, 13, 14, but when they departed from Perga, they came unto Antioch in uh, Pisidia, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading of the law of the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them saying, you see, this is what it used to be. You would go into a place of general worship and fellowship and you would sit down and there would be readings of the prophets and so forth. And there would be a request made of passersby or those that would come in amongst them because you never knew whether God had sent an emissary, an angel, to come in amongst you and speak. And so often he did. And they didn't like them most of the time. In fact, they killed him. After the reading of the law of the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, You men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Paul stood up beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with a high arm brought he them out of it. This God, Paul said, chose our fathers. His fathers, he said, his, meaning Israel. That's what he says, people of Israel. Turn over to Romans chapter 9. I'm going to begin. Well, Paul's confessing uh, a burden that he's got for Israel. And, and, don't anybody take this wrong, but that's exactly what I'm feeling. I'm feeling this burden for Israel. I say, he says at verse one, the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren. Just curse me, God, for my brethren, so that my brethren can understand, is what Paul's saying. My kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises whose are the fathers of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever and amen. Not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah had conceived one, even by our father Isaac, 
for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calls. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Drop down to 11, and I'm going to skip from 1 to 7. I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 7. According, excuse me, what then? Israel has not obtained that which he seeks for, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Excuse me, I said that with a little bit of the wrong inflection. What then was the original question? Israel has not obtained that which he seeks for, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it was written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Now, drop down to verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Oh. These new covenant and other passages are clear evidence biblical Israel was not excluded from the benefits of the promise, the grace, or even their salvation from their sins. And Paul clearly conveys this mystery to them, and therefore it passes from presumptive anomaly of non-existence the one of evidentiary fact and i'm going to walk us back just a little bit further in this evidentiary fact and i think i'm going to open the door in your thoughts to some things that you hadn't considered as part of the overall story Jacob Israel. The bedrock of Christianity is in Shem. Say that again. The bedrock of Christianity is in Shem. I want us to begin saying this with strength and vigor of purpose. The bedrock of Christianity is in Shem. It's established in Abraham, confirmed in Jacob Israel. 
going to say that whole thing once again. The bedrock of Christianity is in Shem and established in Abraham, confirmed in Jacob Israel. For probably 16 to 18 centuries, learned men of academia, they've labored incessantly upon an invention of their own making to cast Gentiles, to them meaning all non-Jews, they've labored upon an invention of their own making to cast Gentiles and modern Jewry as the prophetic mystery in a quest to literally deny biblical Israel's prophetic perpetuity and biblical supremacy. Oh, I know those words. They just want to hear so bad so they can seethe over them and say, yeah, see, there you are, a white supremacist. You can call it whatever you want. But this is what academia has done. They have labored on their own invention and modern Jewry as the prophetic mystery in a quest to literally deny biblical Israel's prophetic perpetuity and biblical supremacy. I hope you understand what I'm saying. They have literally, we just read Paul's words in both Ephesians and Romans 9. Unequivocal fact. And yet, what have they done? And it goes right back to the very first thing I started the fellowship with, which was those words in Matthew 24, 3. They so want you to know in your mind that Israel is out of existence. And that is exactly why what is happening to us in America and those in Europe and so forth throughout the Anglo-Saxon nations is because they need you to forget this. The time is getting short. There is so much that the internet has done in, in, in being able to spark a remembrance in so many of biblical Israel's minds, it's D-Day for them, literally. Listen to David's lamentation in Psalms 83. Over to you know, might as well just do the whole psalm. I'll read it rather fast. Uh, it is 22 after the hour. Keep thou not, O silent, O God, hold not thy peace, and be not still, O Yahweh. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They've taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. 
They've said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. The tabernacles of Edom, the Ishmaelites of, of Moab, the Hagarines, Gebal and Ammon, the Amalek and the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assur also is joined with them. They have holden the children of Lot, Selah. Do unto them as unto Midianites and to Sisera, to Jabin at the brook of Kishon which perished at Endor, they became as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and their Zeba, and, and like Zeba, all their princes as Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take our, to ourselves the houses of God in possession. Oh my God, make them like a wheel, as the stubble before the wind, as the fire burns a wood, and as the flame sets the mountains on fire. So persecute them with thy tempest and make them afraid with thy storm. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek thy name, O Yahweh. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish. That men may know that thou, whose name alone is Yehovah, art the most high over all the earth. Wow. You know, another one comes to mind. <laughs> Turn over to Psalms 147. I'll do one verse here. He sends out his word, about two verses. He's, I'm in 18, 147, 18. He sends out his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters flow. He shows his word unto Jacob his statutes, and his judgments unto Israel. He's not dealt so with any nation, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye Yahweh. The other nations do not have <laughs> Yahweh's law, his statutes, and his judgments. They do not have them. And they are demonstrating that they do not want them. That's what we are witnessing and seeing. Amos chapter 3 is a companion to this one here in Psalms 140, 147. Amos, um, I think it's right, the first couple verses, Amos chapter 3. Yeah, here it is. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. We turn away from his laws, statutes, and judgments and from following after him as we did in 1789 with the advent of this constitution. And I'm the first to say, as I've said to everybody all along, even if 
you are so stupid to have this constitution dwell over you. Just as God said to the Israelites, even if you're so stupid as to have this king reign over you that you desire to have, if you and your king will follow me, it'll all be well. But you see, the Constitution has been used by the enemies of God to tear down the institution of God in your country. And that goes for the same as any other Constitution in any of these other nations that Anglo-Saxon Jacob Israel has been delivered into by the hand of God. It was Israel to whom true acknowledgement and worship or reverence of Yahweh God were found. And it was cultured into their societies. Always been those not of Israel who consistently poured in among them and ultimately turned them from the revealed and inherit origination of the acknowledged and reverence of the revealed creator. This way of the God of Jacob was unique and common to them among all the peoples upon the face of the earth. It's a remarkable core of the Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Scandinavian, Celtic, and kindred peoples. It is no mystery, but a biblical, historical fact. No people anywhere else on earth so demonstrates the appointed mission with which God has chosen Jacob Israel to be conservator and progenitor of the ways of Yahweh in the earth. This divine election, so instructive that anywhere among other peoples where Christianity has been believed to have taken root, that in less than just a few generations, it becomes so weakened and corrupted. And just as it does, where amalgamation proliferates among the Anglo-Saxon peoples, it disintegrates into corruption. It's an inescapable fact. It's an inescapable historical anomaly. From the opening accounts recorded in Genesis 9, we're able to violation of God's law so repugnant, so repugnant, yet Noah himself knew exactly what to do.
to Genesis 9. We see a lot of repugnant things going on right here among the Christian peoples the world over. Noah, verse 20, 920, Noah began to be a husbandman and planted a vineyard, drank of the wine and was drunken. He was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brethren without. Ham and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon both shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were backward. They saw not their father's nakedness. Noah woke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. Now, of course, we know from Scripture, a man's nakedness is his wife. You uncover a man's nakedness, you uncover his wife. And Noah, as I said, pronounced exactly what had to be pronounced for such a repugnant violation. This right here shows you and tells you what's repugnant to God. And that that law of God was already promulgated in the world. Noah says cursed be canaan a servant of servants shall be unto his brethren and blessed be the lord god of shem and canaan shall be his servant god shall enlarge japheth and the same and he shall dwell in the tents of shem and canaan shall be his servant now i know there's a lot of real scholarly people out there and they have literally convoluted this scripture into and so i'm not even going to expound upon them i think many of you are going to realize if you haven't already Because I don't want to give them any credibility. But you've heard them. You've heard them tell you what this passage means. You've heard them tell you that Canaan Noah pronounces this blessing upon Shem. That's what you need to derive and stand. 
and the rest of it's going to fall right into place. And you're going to say, what a fool I was for listening to those scholarly people tell me that, well, this means that Canaan became. Noah pronounced the blessing upon Shem and said that Japheth was going to reside in his shadows, the shadows of Shem. Canaan was going to be the servant of servants. Neither the Japhetic line or the Canaanite line was the blessing pronounced. I want you to get that. Neither the Japhetic line or the Canaanite line was the blessing pronounced. See what I'm trying to get through to our minds, to those that and those that simply do not know. I'm trying to share with you what happened in this monumental, pivotal time with Noah. And that's why I'm saying it was the Shemitic line had the blessing Genesis 10 because it did the sons of Javan okay so now for the sake of time I don't know how much I can really get into all of this but suffice it probably to say in Genesis 10 2 through 5 this is where you are going to learn about the uh, the Japhetic line or Joseph's descendants and Genesis 10, 6 to 20 is where you're going to learn of, this is very important, the, the Hamitic Canaanite lineage. You see, that curse that Noah pronounced was upon Ham and the descendant offspring that was going to be the result. Canaan. And in Genesis 10, 6 through 20, that Hamitic Canaanite lineage and their geographical location is laid out for you. And finally, at Genesis 10, 21, Shem, the father of all the children of Eber and others at 10, 22 to 32, and Genesis 11, 10 to 32. And of note, which seems to have escaped Christendom, is Abraham's father, Terah, went into the land of Canaan to dwell. It was God who called Abraham out of land. And who was in that land? The genet according to Genesis 10, 6 to 20, the genetic lineage of none other than Noah. The Hamitic 
Canaanite line. Following me? Very important. Because you might be saying, Doug, well, why bring all this to our remembrance? Well, as I said, the bedrock of Christianity is in Shem and established in Abraham, confirmed in Jacob, Israel. So, what to your remembrance? Because by its understanding, the anomaly of history disappears. It is this knowledge which yields the paternity of the Noadic inheritance that was pronounced upon Shem. Extricate this prophesied spiritual inheritance inexorably linking Noah's God to Shem and erroneously apply to Gentiles, meaning non-Shemitic nations, the prophecies applicable to Israel only, and you are at once plunged into confusion. I'm going to say it again. Why bring this to your remembrance? Because by its understanding, the anomaly of history disappears. It is this knowledge which yields the paternity of the Noahic inheritance pronounced upon Shem. When you extricate this prophesied spiritual inheritance, prophesied and spoken into existence under the obvious approval of Noah's God. You extricate this inheritance, which is inexorably linking Noah's God to Shem, and erroneously apply it to Gentiles, meaning non-Shemitic nations, and the prophecies which are applicable to Israel only, and you are at once plunged into confusion. Those of you that are listening to these archives, and you may want to back that one up and listen to it many times. I can tell you of a certainty. There are many of Pastor Peter's messages that I backed up and I listened to again and again and again and again. So that I could get it. This here that seems to be laid on my heart in these last few actual hours of Jeremiah can testify, man. I, as early, as late as yesterday at, I don't know, after supper time, I said, I don't know what I'm doing. Abraham's sojournings and wanderings were actually a type and anti-type or a foreshadowing of the very migrations of his seed and the movement of the ways of God or the Christian gospel of God across the globe. 
the way Abraham sojourned and wandered, it was almost as God had planted him as a seed. He told him he was going to be, his name is Abraham, meaning father of nations, father of many. And he's like, you know, I don't get it yet. You know, you're calling me Abraham or change my name from Abram to Abraham. I know what this means. Uh, I don't really know when this is going to happen or how it's going to happen. But, you know, uh, could you be a little more forthcoming on this here uh, Abraham thing? But when you think about it, the way he moved Abraham and he wandered and sojourned was God sparsely putting him everywhere around the globe. And with Yahweh, there can be no mistake. And it is biblical Israel. The destiny, it, it's actually, let me say it this way. It's in biblical israel that the destiny of humanity resides and this was another one of the things that seemed to be leading me to this message because right now in america and other places we're hearing a lot of people talk about humanity and we have to leave these old systems of you know and and they're trying to devolve new systems some of them on the foundation of God and others of them just trying to somehow devolve themselves of these old systems that they don't like and know aren't working. But I'm telling you that with Yahweh, there is no mistake. And it is in biblical Jacob Israel that the destiny of humanity resides. It's in Yahweh's words his promises, his laws, his statutes, his judgments, and thus the true customs of Jacob Israel, where civilization is going to find the manifest destiny to dominate. And that's exactly what he told them in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Turn over to Deuteronomy 32. When the Most High God, I'm in verse 8, 32, 8, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, remember I said, Christianity, the bedrock of Christianity is in Shem. And who was Noah? It's from Adam. Interesting, I just looked up there at 32.4. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Back down to eight. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the Amorites. He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the Esau Edomites. 
He set the bounds of the people according to the Canaanites, the number of the Canaanites. Is that what your scriptures say? And no, it no. isn't. It says he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the waste and howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. So I'm trying to tell you to tell your friends and so forth that if you want to find the destiny of humanity, you will find it in the customs, the true customs of Jacob Israel. And that is exactly where civilization is going to find what is Jacob's Israel manifest destiny to dominate. So either the entire world around hates that idea and so desires to make that idea go away. God's a liar. I'm going to bet God, God of Jacob Israel. It is this great nation, Jacob Israel, which is to bless all the nations of the earth. Back to Genesis real quick. We were at nine. We're going to go to Genesis 12. And... Beginning at verse one, now the Lord, now Yahweh, it should read, had said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from the kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, make your name great and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curses you. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is what we want to tell our people. This is what we want to repeat day in and day out. This great nation, Jacob Israel, which did not go out of existence, which we already have read from the New Covenant passages to confirm it, this is what they need to understand. If they are going to actually see humanity and the destiny of humanity be saved, it will be in Jacob, Israel, where it will be saved. Because God has prophesied it. And when he speaks a word out of his mouth, it is to come to pass. And we may feel as if we're in dire straits right now. But quite frankly, the more I look at it, God is lining up the wicked in their wickedness so that he's 100% totally vindicated and justified in their utter destruction he sets the bounds of the nations according to the number of the children of israel yahweh has taught jacob israel what to do in fact as well oh my i'm trying to remember 
Uh, I'm still with you. I was looking for something in my notes. And I'm not seeing it. And I just could not remember if it was Deuteronomy 19 or Deuteronomy 7. And this one here. is something that we need to continue to repeat as well. And I know that some of your brethren are going to say, well, that's all Old Testament. Oh, I know. I know. I know. Uh, Deuteronomy 19, and I'm going to... Uh, no, I think it's... Uh, not going to be there. It's going to be Deuteronomy 7. Uh, Deuteronomy 7. Let's see. Okay. Um, well, where do we want to begin? Um, we know this all too well. When the Lord God shall bring the 7 1. Whither thou goes to possess, and it casts out many nations before thee, Hittites, Girgashites, Elites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now, once again, take those things there and go back to Genesis and Exodus on the geneal genealogies to, to follow some of these people. When the Lord God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt uh, smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor shalt Mushi unto them, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter they shall not give unto the son, nor daughter shall thou take to thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they serve other gods. So will the anger of the Yahweh be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly. And he, he goes on to say, you shall deal with them thusly, destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, burn their uh, graven images with fire. You are a holy people unto Yahweh thy God. The, Yahweh thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Yahweh did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because Yahweh loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, has he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh of Egypt. So he, he tells them, as this great and mighty deed and this relationship that he's got, that you shall consume all these other nations which god gives unto you you're not to look at them with pity you're not to serve their god that would be a snare and i thought about this this is really a biblical way of saying do not serve their will but serve the will of the god 
of Jacob, Yahweh only shall you serve. You see what I'm saying? People read these Old Testament accounts and when it's got gods and altars and idols and it, it just, it somehow is just so mystifying and conjures up such a perception in their mind that, you know, none of this has done anybody. Nobody worships these gods or has these idols or anything anymore. And yet, you know, we can actually show that in many respects, a lot of them still do. But think of it this way. This being a way of saying, don't serve their will. So what we're seeing going on is we're seeing them wanting to impose their will into the nations of Jacob Israel. They're wanting to impose their customs that we just said were unique to Jacob Israel alone. And so it occurred to me that that's a very good way to say this to them so they might understand and not look at it through the lens of, gee, we don't serve idols and sticks and stones and you know stuff like that anymore. It really is a biblical way of saying don't serve their will, because if you serve their will, they will surely turn you away from serving Yahweh only. And Yahweh only are the one you are to serve. You are to serve Yahweh and do so in all the world and do not pity those who I tell you to destroy because they will not serve the will of Yahweh. So what's going on in America and other Anglo-Saxon nations is that these people and their nations are being drawn into their will by the very documents that we drafted in violation of God's will. General history is not taught through ethnological evidences, geographical evidences, physiological evidences. And why would we suppose that is? I found the answer in England's 1892 prime minister and Christian man. And this is how he said it. I have had the opportunity of perceiving how among specialists, as with other men, there may be fashions of the time and school, which Lord Bacon called idols of the marketplace, and currents of prejudice below the surface, such as to detract somewhat from the authority which each inquirer might justly claim in his own field, and from their title to impose their conclusions upon mankind i know they write differently and their thoughts ran differently than much of the world's current simple thinking but what he's saying is that there was currents of prejudice below the surface of these intellects For the purpose of imposing their conclusions on mankind. And so all of the genetic characteristics of the white Christian nations 
all of the ethnological evidence, all of the geographical evidence, all the physiological evidences of history That can't be taught. If it would, you'd know who you were. And you'd understand what it is that you're to be. Now, we've definitely got some faults as Christian nations, largely because we have taken up the banner of those who have come in amongst us as friends and they have led us into our own destruction by a ring in our nose if you will monetary control that's 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 just me it's just me saying it not gospel you know it's true so all the genetic characteristics is their affinity toward acknowledging and worship of this God of the Bible? You know, I think back to Laban himself. You know, Laban, the, the name Laban means white. And Laban, um, wasn't it, uh, yeah, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, she was of the house of Laban, Laban's daughter. She was referred to as fair complected. And even our own modern classification classifies us as what? Caucasians crossing the Caucasus Mountains, the whites. That's what it says, white or Caucasian. The historical ethnological evidence supports white Caucasian peoples as descended from a line or a stock of Abraham. That's why this stuff isn't taught. The historical geographical evidence has and continues to support Anglo-Saxons with Israel. In fact, beginning with their Assyrian captivity, we find this in Smith's Bible Dictionary, Volume 1, page 131, and I quote from Smith's, we can only say that soon after the beginning of the 7th century, they, meaning the Israelites, began to press upon the Assyrians, and that gradually increasing in strength, they proceeded about the year 633 BC to attempt the conquest of the country, end quote. Right there in Smith's. You know, Smith could not be wrong about this, and here's why. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 51. Uh, okay, we know that this is about the destruction of Babylon, but let's begin at 19. The portion of Jacob is not like them. He is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. Yahweh of hosts is his name. Thou art my battle axe and weapons of war, for with thee I will break in pieces the nations, and with thee I will destroy kingdoms. 
the whole of this chapter is really quite insightful as it speaks, you know, as I indicated from of Babylon's destruction. Dropping over to 51.1 real quick. Thus says Yahweh, behold, I will raise up against Babylon and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me, a destroying wind. This is a proclamation to rise up against Babylon to destroy it. And indeed he did. There's no denying that Babylon was destroyed. It's still a dust heap to this day, ancient Babylon. He used another king that would have been Cyrus to bring the Judahites back into uh, Jerusalem after their 70 years in bondage. And that was around 539 that he used Cyrus. Then he uses, um, oh, what was it, Xerxes, about four early 424, 28, 438, somewhere in there, I believe. And finally, then in uh, 330, uh, both Persian and uh, Babylonian empires are completely destroyed by Alexander the, the Great. And so that whole entire um, <laughs> empires were completely destroyed in nearly 200 years. 200 years of destructive power of God was used against those empires. Is he not an awesome God? It's just it's just astounding to me. I know I'm running a little bit long here. But what is so unmistakably convoluted is for the religious leaders and historians to glue Israel the Old Covenant Jerusalem. In doing so, they're forced to overlook or outright ignore the general world history. The key to history is unmistakably Jacob Israel. Anglo-Saxon history has always been conquerors or biblically speaking dominionizers because they've already labeled us as colonizers and that's a derogatory term meaning something to the effect that we're conquerors we've actually been known as the conquer unconquered race i should say the unconquered race and doesn't it look like they really desire to conquer Jacob Israel. I want to go to Isaiah chapter 41 in conclusion and read several verses there. But I found this interesting. I was looking at something else and I came up with Shakespeare as he had cast King John in his play. He says this King John, we God's wrathful agents do correct their proud contempt that beat back his peace to heaven. So what was being conveyed there by Shakespeare in the words of King John was as wrathful agents, Jacob Israel corrects their contempt 
of his peace. Their proud contempt and try to beat his peace back to heaven because it's his peace that God proclaims throughout the earth. And they want to beat that peace back to heaven. They love chaos and disarray. They profit from it. They enjoy it. Isaiah chapter 41, and I'll close it up here. Keep silence before me, O islands. I'm at one. Let the people renew their strength. Let them come near. Then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Who raised up the righteous man from the east and called him to his foot? Gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings. He gave them as the dust to his sword and has driven stubble to his bow. He pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he had not gone with his feet. Who has wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, Yahweh, the first and with the last, I am he. The isles saw it and feared. The isles saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid, drew near and came. They helped everyone his neighbor, and everyone said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smooths with a hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. And he fastened it with nails that it should not be moved. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, thou art my servant. I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. And so it was as I thought about the article about Sweden and how one in four women is now afraid to leave their house for fear of being raped. As I thought about this magnificent plan that God has been carrying out to bring his people into the economic centers of the world, to dominionize there, the geographical locations, the geographical geography of the United States of America alone, and what it meant to the ability for economic power and economic dominion. And these are the things that inspired me back to these thoughts that we need to get a hold of and remember. Do not let these people anymore act as if you are somehow not part of Shem. This is one of the most insidious and diabolical things that has destroyed this people not understanding that their Christian heritage, the bedrock of Christian heritage, was right there in that blessing that Noah pronounced on Shem and God eagerly embraced. 
And so they call you an anti-Semite. <laughs> they smear you with something because you do not even know and understand who you are. That to me is just a diabolical thing to realize. And so I say proudly, people go out and continue to extol the virtues. Because when it comes down and there is a remnant that God is going to preserve, it may not be you and it may not be me as that remnant, but it may very well be your children whom you've taught to remember. And I hope that this can help people as well. So I'll pray that in. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this opportunity to fellowship with my brethren here. Father, I thank you for what you've done in just the last several hours and bringing these thoughts to me. I pray that they are meaningful and, and that they came together in a way that people can receive them and understand them and, and share them and the blessing that is in them. And that they'll once again embrace once again and emerge victorious as the dominionizers for your will that they are to be. If humanity is truly to be saved, as they are saying, it will be in your Jacob Israel. I acknowledge this. I accept it. I thank you for it. And that your will be done in it. And may this fellowship message this evening be one that can assist them coming back to that remembrance. And that they would once again be able to embrace it with God-fearing love. <laughs> and the strength and the fortitude that you've empowered them with already in your spoken word. May it be a blessing to wherever it goes. Thank you, Father. I wanna thank you, Father. I've been remiss in many other things. There are a lot of people out there. I don't know this Mickey Willis very much. God, I know that I've been remiss in praying for him. He's done a monumental work in these videos that he's been putting out over the last couple, three years. I'd believe that he's a God-fearing man. Father, I pray that prayer of blessing. You know, we look at ourselves, Father, sometimes as being so small and so insignificant, and we look at somebody else and we say, what a remarkable work they are doing. And therefore we feel poor and pitiful. But I've learned to accept exactly what you've given me. And what you've given our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. You've given them that heart that desires you. 
I know that that's sufficient. You will work with whomever you can with whatever talents they possess for your will and for your glory. And so as small as we may feel and as mighty as others may seem, I just continue to ask for your blessing and your found love and grace upon all of us whatever it is you've commissioned us to do whatever measure you've given us i pray a blessing of thanksgiving for those that i forgot to pray a blessing of thanksgiving on that you brought them through this ordeal of this poison that they attempted to inject and did inject into many of your people. And I thank you. I've looked around and I've seen people, Father, that I know that love you, that mistakenly took that jab. And I have watched your protection upon their health. I have seen that they have been well while others have been severely hurt and injured. And I have forgotten to lift them up in prayer to you and say thank you for the protection you provided them. So Father, I've recognized that Paul said that praise for them I realize I don't do enough praying for all of our people. I get caught up just as most of us do in the day's events and we forget a blessing when we should ask for it and when we should give glory to you. Father, your people have most definitely been led astray by the wicked, whether it's in England, Britain, the Isles, here in America, Australia. They've definitely been misled into fighting against our own brethren, destroying one another, Participating with their usury schemes and all manner of other practices that are lewd and vile to you. So really the battle axe that you wanted us to be. And now we find ourselves in a strait. Where it appears that only a Red Sea predicament can deliver us. So, Father, we pray for that deliverance. Use us in any mighty way you can and will. I ask these things in the blessed holy name of your Son, our Redeemer, our Emmanuel. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thank you all for joining. And we will catch you all next week. Good night, everyone. <laughs>